I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Hey, Alyssa, how was your Labor Day? How was my Labor Day? I think that I I'm, think I'm hoping that it's conquered grape season. Okay. Um, just so everyone knows, this is two weeks before Labor Day. Um, right. We are trying to predict how Alyssa's Labor Day was. I think, yeah, I think you probably picked some fruits. I think I picked some fruits, probably washed some fruits, probably cut some fruits. Yes, probably washed and cut some fruits. Um, think that maybe your cats have sensed a, a change in season and, and they're fixating on something that is outdoors. Probably. Yeah, it sounds like a great Labor Day. What about yours? I think for Labor Day, I probably um, went to a, a swimming pool. Um, I've, I've lived okay. in this city for long enough now that I've... They've collected several friends that have swimming pools, and uh, I'm, okay. I'm guessing that one of them probably invited me over, and I probably went in a, in a swimming pool. Okay, so we're barely generic Labor Day people. We both had great Labor Days. We did. Low-key, uneventful. It's going to be, now watch, like something crazy is going to happen. I know. It's like, did we just jinx ourselves? Something terrible is going to yeah, happen. Oh, no. Um, just so you know, never again. This week, we're joined by Jill Gutowitz and Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein to tackle the following questions. Have reality TV dating shows gotten queerer? Why should this season's stars of The Bachelorette choose each other? And when are themed parties part of the problem? All this and more right now. This is the first episode of, I guess, fall, last episode of summer, and... Because we're pre-recording this, mm -hmm. we wanted to do something that was going to be fun, festive, but also, you know, serious. And uh, we brought in two people who have been on the show before, who we love deeply, who are super, super smart about things that are not related to the topic that we are going to talk about today, which is <laughs> reality TV. Uh, I'm going to bring in both members of our panel today. First, she's a theoretical astrophysicist and author of the book, The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey into Dark Matter, Space, Time, and Dreams Deferred. Did you know that she's also one of the universe's biggest fans of reality dating shows? <laughs> Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, welcome back to Hysteria. Thank you for having me in my totality. <laughs> <laughs> you contain multitudes. <laughs> my multitudes. <laughs> Rounding out our panel today, our next guest is a writer, director, and author of Girls Can Kiss Now, Out Now. Her first short film and directorial debut, The Ladies, just premiered at Outfest this July. She's also a founding member of the Chessie Fan Club. <laughs> Jill Gutwitz, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I didn't. Yeah, I guess I am a founding member <laughs> or I'm just keeping it going. <laughs> I wonder what those meetings would be like. What What would you picture? I think it's just like a bunch of women sitting around in like denim 
shirts similar to a pumpkin spice latte meeting actually, <laughs> <laughs> and just showing each other photos and being like is this is this what I should wear and it's just more photos of denim shirts and <laughs> things tied around your waist <laughs> <laughs> oh man I feel like Chessie chic could be a fashion moment like moving yeah. into fall like all it needs is a trend piece in ew or something like that that's like all the women are going crazy for jesse chic and and it would take off absolutely <laughs> so i'm super excited to have this group i started watching 90 day fiance not really knowing much about it except the fact that people who i like and respect really like that show and it is compelling it is extraordinarily compelling. Right? I really feel like we have reached a new height in our relationship now that you understand my absolute addiction to 90 Day Fiance. All of them. Before the 90, happily ever after, all of them. Pillow talk. Love in paradise. Oh, yes. It's like, now that I've started watching it, and I've been so deep in it for the last several days. I'm realizing there is so much 90 Day Fiance. I feel like I just tried to start watching Better Call Saul. I'm like, I am behind. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that one of the things that happens with reality TV is that that, as with a lot of media that is consumed primarily by women, it gets kind of relegated to unserious. But there's a lot of seriousness and a lot of important things that kind of bubble up as we're, you know, watching these shows, as we're consuming and discussing these shows. Um, Jonda, I'm going to start with you. Like, what reality dating shows are you watching right now and what makes them so compelling? Well, like, what am I not watching? (laughs) That might be like a shorter list. So I guess, you know, the bachelorettes, plural is is on right now and I I'm just gonna say that I think that this season has been like an unmitigated disaster and I feel that way like every season about whichever bachelor bachelorette the only the of the three shows bachelor in paradise is the best one Oh, for fight sure. people about that. Totally fight people about that. Hands yeah. down. Yes. <laughs> but I feel like they took the worst elements of Bachelor in Paradise and mixed them with the worst elements of like the Bachelorette and the Bachelor into one thing. So that's my current feeling about that. I have been watching all of the different 90 Day Fiance iterations that have been on. So they just finished a season of Love in Paradise which I think is maybe only on Discovery Plus. So I'm just going to say like, I am a subscriber to Discovery <laughs> Plus. I'm, I'm letting, um, and also I'm, I just caught up with the first part of the 90 Day Fiance, the current season reunion. Oh, so that's good. where I am with that. And now 90 Day Fiance UK is on. And that is also interesting. Hmm. I didn't know there was a UK. I'm writing that down. Alyssa's notebook is like half uh, things about like laws that she's going to read, like actual policy she's going to read, and half recommended 90 Day Fiance UK. Yeah, half recommended episodes of streaming dating shows that are available only on Discovery Plus. I forgot when Seeking Sister Wife. So much to unpack with that show. Oh, (laughs) yes. I've never heard of that. What is that? Oh. It was the companion. Shonda, let me take this one. It was the companion to Sister Wives, right? Which is a very actual, like, okay, first let me just say. So the Sister Wife to. It was the Sister Wife to Sister Wives. Right. (laughs) And Sister Wives is about the Brown family and their journey 
uh, being polygamists out in Utah to Nevada to Arizona. Very, very interesting show because it's a real window into a sort of culturally normal polygamist family seeking sister wife <laughs> is about, and Chana, you correct me if I'm wrong. It feels a bit like men looking for concubines. That's what seeking sister wife feels like to me. It's not the same journey the Brown family is on. Part of what's interesting about the Brown family, and I've seen every episode of that show at least once, most of them twice. Me too. Same. Um, I think what's interesting about that family is that they are true fundamentalist Mormons who um, truly believe that this is important for their spiritual journey, that they be in, in a plural marriage. And seeking sister wife kind of goes beyond that to people who are maybe just poly in other ways, but poly specifically in a way that centers the man's needs, right? So it's not, I feel in some ways like sister wives is in easier on me as a feminist than yes. seeking oh. sister wife is because in that case, it's part of their religious beliefs. And you also see, I, I'm, I've i also seen every episode of Big Love at least me twice. Too. And I think that that was a show that really grappled with what does it mean to be a feminist in the context of this religious system? And I think that that, there are interesting questions there. But Seeking Sister Wife really is like, I just felt like I needed more women in my life or the scammy part of polygamous marriage, which is often, okay, now we need a younger woman who will take care of the children and that's their solution to their feminist problems, right? Right. So I I feel like there's that element. There is the side of it though that I think they just hide the religious parts when people are coming into it for religious beliefs. And I find it weird actually that they're hiding that part given what motivated the show to be interesting probably to production in the first place. Mm Mm-hmm. Jill, what are your kind of go-to reality TV dating shows and what makes them compelling? I I honestly need to like broaden my horizons because I'm like really in mostly Bachelor Nation. Like I watch like other reality stuff, but it's more like below deck and like, <laughs> um, I don't know if this would count. Like this isn't like a dating show, but um, Summer House on Bravo, like I just like really bad shows um (laughs) but I I'm also like pretty new to it like I only started watching reality tv in general like I don't know three years ago or two two and a half something you know and so but I I really love The Bachelor I love like you said Bachelor in Paradise I think is like far and away the best one because it's like more room for chaos (laughs) I also watch F Boy Island's (laughs) I've been watching that, um, unfortunately, and I, there's room for, for more. So I'm open to suggestions. Okay. Well, let's zero in on Bachelor Nation because I think that's one of, that's like the OG, that's one of the, that's the Walmart of dating shows, (laughs) you know, like it's not really doing anything the best, but we all know it. We all go there or maybe the target of dating shows. We'll say that. Yeah. We all spend time there sometimes. Sometimes after we leave, we're like, "Mm, I don't really like what I just did. And then sometimes after (laughs) we leave, we're like, that was fine. This season of The Bachelorette, as Chanda mentioned, is two bachelorettes involved in choosing different men. What about this season is so bad? I really want to get more into it because I think that there have been some interesting moments on this season and there have been um, some moments that that are really, really cringe. I mean, I feel like 
I actually am really enjoying every episode. Like, I'm loving it. But I Hmm. can also see that there is something, like, truly sinister going on in the way that they are, like, actively pitting the two bachelorettes against each other. And also, like, how quick I am to respond to that in the way that they want me to and be like, wow, I love Gabby and also fuck her. Like, (laughs) 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 and so I'm more like having a self-aware experience of what's happening to me while I'm watching this show. But I am enjoying it from like a schadenfreude kind of way. (laughs) I just, why is Gabby crying so much about her Mm. mom in like every episode? She wasn't like, so I get that production makes choices, right? But this totally for people who have seen the drama Unreal, which is kind of loosely based on a memoir about reality TV, right? This literally feels like an Unreal plot where like, I found myself asking, like, has someone been messing with her meds? Like, are they adjusting? Because (laughs) like, she just seems not okay in a very Mm -hmm. clear way. And she's on like a loop about her mom. So I can't decide if that's just production. That's like every, but why, even if it is like every time she cries, we put it on air, but why is she crying so many distinct times and telling this like same story over and over again? Um, I find that like really disturbing. And it does feel like the setup of having two bachelorettes means that they, both Gabby and Rachel have experienced like bullying while they're supposed to be the center of attention, but they're kind of like the center Mm. of being bullied attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit like, I mean, the first image that came to my head was like Midsummer, like the May Queen dance-off thing. Um, And it does feel a little bit, I think, I wonder about someone who is, you know, crying a lot. I wonder if it sort of is like the producers realize that there's like a place emotionally that they can prod, that she's always going to respond that way. And it's sort of bordering on cruel that they're just continuing to poke her in a place that is like very, very difficult for her to go. I actually had to stop watching because I found it difficult to watch. It felt really, it felt really mean. I did too. I stopped watching because it felt, to Chanda's point, about Unreal. It was an actual storyline in Unreal from, which was five years old, right? The production in the scripted show, production was messing with her meds. And I was like, wait, Unreal's kind of based on this and this is happening. And like, I don't want to see what's going to happen. So I, I actually, I tapped out this season on Bachelorette. It feels like they also found that for Rachel, though, and that, like, the thing that they are, like, really milking for her is her, like, she's clearly, like, insecure about being left, especially now, like, being left for Gabby, you know? And they, like, keep putting her in these positions to, like, feel that. And it's making her look crazy. And like, I don't think she is crazy probably, but there is, I think like this season, you're right, is like, it's much more like openly sinister than Mm -hmm. the past ones, which feel kind of like dumb and innocent, you know? And this one is very like leaning into something dark. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but it has always seemed to me that the people behind Bachelor Nation have been evil geniuses And they understand exactly what they're making their audience do. Maybe this isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. about what they're doing to the contestants, but what they're forcing the audience to do and examine, why am I watching this show? What do I get out of this show? Why am I 
able to follow along with what they want me to feel about these two women, knowing that I'm being manipulated. Because I feel like the show is like self-aware. Like there are people I bet that work for that show that are just like on the message boards all day. (laughs) And I feel as though the show responds to the way that the audience processes the show. So I wonder if it's this like kind of sinister like final form of the show being like, look at what you made us do, (laughs) you know? And it, I don't know. It's like, I have to say, I know somebody who was a contestant on one of the shows, two of the shows. And I think that the type of person that I know him to be is very different than what he was on the show. Like it, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, so we're watching something that is, you know, a creation of the producers, but it's also like pieces of them that maybe that have been kind of deconstructed and reassembled in this way. That's like, ugh, kind of hard to watch. So I think for me, that raises the question. Part of the way that the, you know, the whole Bachelor franchise works is that I'm, each season is a sequel. Right. Right. We don't talk about it in those terms, but each season is a sequel because you know the person who's the bachelor or the bachelorette from a previous season. And it jumps. And so it may be that you have to be two seasons back to know who that person is and that sort of thing. And that's kind of how they pull you in and keep you there. But that also means that the people who are now signing up to be the bachelorette, the bachelor, bachelorettes, plural, know that production does this. They've seen what the show did with people. They know the difference between who those people were and how they were portrayed on TV. Mm. So I find myself spending a lot of time being like, why did they sign up for this? Like, why did Gabby and Rachel sign up for this? Because they must have known that every way that they could make this mean and unpleasant for them, they were probably going to try. And so on the one hand, I'm like pained for Gabby, right? And then on the other hand, I'm like, but Gabby must have known, like she's trading this for something. And I would never be a person who would trade something like that. So I don't know how to evaluate. How does she decide that it's worth it to go through this minefield that's totally unpredictable? So are we watching a game between the contestants and the producers and we can only see one side of the game? Like they set the rules and everyone who enters the game thinks they can win, but none of them can win. It's so dark. If you watch Unreal, that seems about right. (laughs) Also, I can't stop thinking about what you said about how like the game has become self-aware. Like what's that like bad Anne Hathaway movie where there's like a video game? (laughs) Oh, I was going to say, you're going to have to be more specific if we're talking. Um, Or like even like there's something like Westworld about it where it's like the people on the show are gaining awareness but it's still not enough (laughs) Mm -hmm. right right you always the house always wins you know you're you're never going to beat the you're never going to beat the game This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. 
One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like parched? I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you... Stay focused and alert throughout the day, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products, plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have. To, I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, it's like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. It's yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is, like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple of years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, 
Your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Jill, back to you. Let's talk about some of the other reality shows that you watch and whether you see queer representation on the show um, and whether the shows, separately, whether the shows appeal to queer people and why. I, I even think the like really painfully heterosexual shows appeal to queer people and I'm like not quite even positive like where I'm coming from some of the time. But, you know, like even shows like, you know, Bachelor in Paradise... I, there was a like mildly queer storyline, I think two years, three years ago. I, what is time? But with mm-hmm. Demi. <laughs> Demi. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read your article about that at the time. Yeah, no. And like, I felt like when that happened, even though, again, like it was pretty tame because it was, it wasn't somebody she met on the show. It was like, I'm still thinking about my like ex-girlfriend and they like bring her to the island or whatever but I was watching it and I was just like it it would be so easy to incorporate queer people here like like, like it, they made it so easy they could do it so easily and I and I feel the same about like I guess like the structure of f-boy island is literally like about men even though it seems like the next season is gonna be about like they're gonna like flip the switch but I I just think like it is really easy to include multiple bisexual people or pansexual people on a, you know, mostly heterosexual show and like shake things up. Something that I think is so funny that happened to me last summer was I met some, I don't know her name and it's probably better that way because I probably Mm -hmm. shouldn't say this at all, but she, I met some like producer that works in the Bachelor Nation shows. And I was like, just making some like offhanded joke about how there needs to be a lesbian bachelor because there would just be so much drama because, you know, the stereotype lesbians move quickly. Um, (laughs) And like people within the house would mingle. There would be so much drama there. Like that, like, you know, whoever the like main bachelorette is, like it would just be a complete shit show in like a really compelling reality TV way. And she literally stared at me and was like, huh, that's a good idea. Seriously? And I was like, you've never thought of this? That's like so like, obvious. I know. I was like, this is like a really old lesbian joke about like <laughs> U-hauling and like, I don't know. I just, you never thought about it? You were like, as if I was the first person to pitch her this and she was like, huh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, part of me is like, I don't even know if they're thinking about this, um, but they need to do it. And it would be 
I think, like, the most dramatic season yet. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> I just, you made me think about that one season of Are You the One? I don't know if anybody else has seen the one Mm-mm. queer season of Are You the One? Where they put a bunch of bisexual and pansexual people in the house together and kind of let it go. And I, at first, was, like, super excited about it. And then I actually found it to be one of the worst seasons of Are You the One in the end. Um, And I actually think part of it is, so there's the very obvious, like, for a show where you have, like, a bachelor or bachelorette, like, you have to have someone who's interested in people with a, a, a variety of gender identities, right? But I actually think what they messed up with that one season of Are You the One was that everybody was bisexual and pansexual, I didn't really see the argument for that. I think it would have been fine if some people had been gay identified, lesbian identified, um, you know, even though I question the true existence of monosexuals, monosexual (laughs) identified in some way. And I think that that, you know, insofar as we're okay with like the emotional stressors and all of the ethical questions that come with putting people in emotionally stressful situations, but assuming people want to sign up for that. Exactly. It creates interesting drama. And I do think that there is an element of, you know, people always talk about like, oh, liberal Hollywood, but that's clearly like not how it's actually working. If it was, we would get way more black filmmaking than we do. Right. Like people just like it still doesn't cross their minds. And I I think the other thing is, is that they still just don't see us as an audience. They still think that the audience is a white, straight, like a white het cis. I'm housewife in Iowa or Idaho, as if there are not gay people in Idaho, as if there are not people of color in Idaho, right? Like, I'm, I think that they're still thinking of their audience in very narrow ways and thinking about like who they can sell commercials to, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Chanda, I remember, I think the the first time we talked about reality TV when you were on, you said something about how like, a lot of the dating shows make it seem like monogamy is the problem. Like it, all their problems would be solved if people were just like, oh yeah, we're poly. And I would love to hear your thoughts on like this new generation, these new seasons of dating shows and how they confront monogamy or entertain polyamory and what you make of progress that's being made in that space. Yeah. I mean, the last time I think I actually declared that The Bachelor was the great American polyamorous franchise, right? Because like they're basically <laughs> just poly for like whatever the the 10 weeks that episodes are on the air. And then suddenly they're monogamous again. So it's like a temporary poly show. Uh-huh. And it's kind of playing with the fact that people are actually interested in that idea. But at the end of the day, we return to our Puritan values. Like it's like you take a break from being a Puritan and then um, we return to being a Puritan. What was interesting about the season of Love in Paradise is that there is some poly discussion happening in relation to the queerness. And one of the storylines I think is super disingenuous. And actually one of the storylines I think is like very real of, I love you. I want to be with you. I am also a poly person. That's something we have to navigate and figure out. And I think that there is this, you know, there's a segment of, of the LGBTQ community that is like, I just want to fit into society as it is. And so don't associate polyamory with me. Don't associate the, quote, bad lifestyles, because then that marks us as a bad lifestyle. 
And I think what was kind of interesting is that at least in one of those Love in Paradise storylines, it pushes the idea that for some people, this is part of their queerness and it can be healthy and wholesome and not at all be about like, I don't love you or I'm not committed to you. And in that sense, it kind of is like the the Brown family sister wife storyline, which is that you can create whole real families around this that, you know, also maybe experience divorce or other like people don't always stay together. But it's not about like, I need you to only focus on me. It's about what is our relationship. And I think that that is like an interesting challenge. I was pretty freaked out about the Abby Gabby storyline, though, because I was like, oh, this is such a stereotype of like two lesbians who rope the unsuspecting straight man in and they have like vultured his life or something like that. (laughs) Wait, do les is that a stereotype? Do lesbians do that? They surround (laughs) straight men and suck their life force? Because that's awesome. Had no idea. I just have to (laughs) trash my ex's families. I have been through at least three relationships where the in-law side parents were convinced that I was some kind of lesbian succubus who (laughs) was trying to drain their child of their finances and that I was going to go and take the money to be with some other woman. And actually, I'm I'm blanking on the movie with Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly. But bound. I think bound. bound. I think everybody thinks that like <laughs> lesbians are bound. That like that's all we do. Like, right? And I've had this with women partners and man partners. Their parents think the same thing. Yeah. Very Jennifer's body. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. I, I wanted to, you know, as as we were just discussing this, one thing that we've kind of left out of this discussion is uh, the Netflix dating shows and kind of what a hot mess they are. The Ultimatum. Did you all watch The Ultimatum? Oh, yeah. I almost forgot about The Ultimatum. I binged that. I did too. (laughs) Um, Alyssa, what did you make of that? That was kind of a hot mess, wasn't it? That was very hard to watch. I mean, I watched the whole thing. Don't get me wrong. But (laughs) again, it's like the people who should not have ended up together ended up together. And that one was one of the ones where it just felt so manipulated that I was like, it just felt overproduced, you know, that this was like, I don't know. I didn't watch it. If there's another season, will I watch it? Of course. But I didn't love it. It felt emotionally manipulative. I mean, they all are, but that one more so. Yeah. It also felt as though, you know, it kind of did the thing where it was like forcing people to be Polly all right. of a sudden and then forcing them back. It was this really weird like thing that happened. I, I I really hated it. But then Well, it was like forcing you to go through Polly to find to reclaim your mononess. Like it felt like a game, I guess. I mean, they're all a game, but that one felt much more like, I don't know, shoots and ladders. There was, I think there was a spin, there was another iteration of this that was on Amazon Prime that I recently watched. That was, I think it was called The One That Got Away. Yeah. Where they really like, you start building a connection with someone and they were like, actually, someone new is here. And so the production was literally, it was like unmasking of Unreal because you just watch production disrupt them repeatedly. Oh, wow. I did not see that one. That sounds horrible. Also, I don't know if you guys know this, but The Ultimatum does have another season coming out and it's all women. It's like a lesbian season. (gasps) 
Okay, so I'll watch that for sure. Yeah, and it's... Am I excited or horrified? Which one? Maybe both. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be like the most toxic thing that has ever aired and absolutely a setback for the community and I will watch it. (laughs) (laughs) But I I don't... Was Love is Blind on Netflix? Mm -hmm. I liked that one. I liked like, like, I liked Love is Blind. I felt that one was very like honest, I guess. Every season though has somebody that just, just exudes January 6th energy. (laughs) A hundred percent. At least one. Like this past season, what was Was the blonde guy? Yeah, there was, there was the guy who didn't know what to do with his face. Shane. 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 Bad vibes. Very storm the capital. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but Shayna, the the blonde one that had like sort of um uh like a nineteen sixties Barbie colored skin that like orange like hold a hold a foil <laughs> thing under your face kind of a tan. Her family was like, oh, they were they were so January sixth, but um, <laughs> they were. <laughs> that was like a purge family. I felt like that whole scene was the purge. Like oh. Yes, like their live, laugh, love stencils are human blood, 100%. What? (laughs) I love describing people as very January 6th. It's just like, it's such a visceral image. It is. You know exactly what I, you know exactly what I mean. Um, So, okay, so Jill, you said that you think that an all lesbian ultimatum is going to be bad for the community. What would an ideal queer dating reality show look like? Like, what would a, a health... Is there is it possible for there to be, like, a healthy one? Like, what would that look like? I mean, I feel like... I don't know about healthy, but I think, like, the most basic version of it is just, like, a Bachelor-type setup, you know? I think, like, that's, like, the, the clean teen version of a lesbian dating show. I personally, like, would be the most invested and excited for, like, lesbian Bachelor in Paradise. Um, and it doesn't even, honestly, like, I don't think it has to be, like, specifically lesbian. Like, I just think, like, if everyone on that beach had, like, differing sexualities, that would be more interesting. But, you know, I mean, like, I think the ultimatum is an absolutely insane setup for a show. So, like, I am excited to watch that <laughs> happen for for women. Um, but unrelated, that show Tampa Bay's, that was like a one season lesbian reality show on Amazon prime. It's like, I watched every episode and it was like horrible and like not even good or compelling and, and bad for the community. And I hope there's another season. So it's like (laughs) the bar is just so, so low that like, even if this is like the worst, you know, the worst examples of televised queer women in modern history, I'll be there. (laughs) I, I would like to see a married at first sight, like a lesbian married at first sight. Mm. We've seen lesbians on the Australian married at first sight. That's what I was going to say. And the Australian married at first sight has an interesting twist where the couples have regular contact with each other in kind of a structured way that leads to interesting drama happening. It is far superior to the American version. It is in many ways. And I think that I, but I would be interested to see like an American style version of Married at First Sight with lesbians. My only hesitation there, because I think, you know, I I do think some of those marriages do last. We know that people have children and, um, and, and sometimes remain friends, et cetera. The thing that makes me nervous about it is they screw black women on the American yeah. show like so badly. Like they just put black women in these terrible, terrible 
unethical positions where it's like you knew and they only not exclusively do it to black women, but black women are disproportionately the group they do it to. So it would be interesting, I guess, to to see how that, you know, even to do one where there are no white people. And mm-hmm. I think they came close to that. Was it Houston? They came close to that. But I think mm-hmm. that, that would be interesting, too. Hmm. Well, we've given out so many free ideas for great reality dating competition shows today. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do an I Feel Petty Sanity Corner hybrid because, you know, it's it's we're open to everything here. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And welcome back almost to the end of this super special end of summer reality show spectacular, but we're not done yet. We are going to do an I Feel Petty Sanity Corner. I can go first. I'll go first. Here's what I'm feeling petty about this week and have been feeling petty about for literally months. Puffy sandals. Why are the sandals puffy? What is happening with the shoes? Puffy sandals. I am not going to buy them. Mm -mm. I am not going to buy a purse that looks like it's having an allergic reaction. I am not going to put things (laughs) on my feet that look as though they're retaining water. It is a strange choice. I feel as though fashion has really... um, I have this like overarching idea of like fashion tried to get us off skinny jeans for like years and years. They're like, buy new jeans, buy new jeans. And we were like, no. And so they're like, well, then fuck you. 
the shoes are puffy now. Like they got, <laughs> they got mad at us and fashion is angry. Fashion is angry and I am not, I'm not participating in it anymore, but I'm feeling petty about puffy sandals. I'm glad that sandal season is coming to an end for most people in the country. You're free from the tyranny of puffy sandal season. I encourage everybody to hold strong with me. Do not buy puffy sandals. Don't let them make you do this. You don't have to let them make you do this. You can stick to your Birkenstocks, your flip-flops. You don't have to do this. Fuck puffy sandals. Never again. Erin, I agree. I have seen a preponderance of these puffy sandals. People are so proud of them. They're posting them on Instagram. And the only thing I can think is that when you walk in those, they must make noise. They have to squeak. They have to make some strange noise when you walk in them. Because Mm -hmm. like you said, they're puffy. They've got a smell, you know? I don't know what it is. They're just it's a no. It's a no for me, dog. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, Chanda, what are you, uh, are you feeling petty or do you want to do a sanity corner this week? Man, you have just given me so many ideas. So I'm feeling petty and <laughs> I'm just like thinking about like all of like the attire things I'm feeling petty about. Like I need everyone to stop wearing emerald dresses. Not everybody looks good in emerald dresses. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure the next thing that's going to happen is I'm going to see someone in an emerald dress with like puffy sandals, right? Like that, <laughs> that is, that's in my future now. Anyway, um, so I guess I saw yet another person make a like, oh, let's have a Gatsby party. Like this is so exciting comment on social media the other day. And this just like sent me in a, a complete spiral because... I feel like every single time people make these um, comments about how they want to throw a Gatsby party or Gatsby parties are really exciting, that they're just like taking iconic works of literature and that they they claim to respect and find really interesting and they're like trashing them. (laughs) And I think that this is part of like a larger culture of people taking things that are very important, these important social critiques and strip mining them into little capitalist pieces to like be fed to people. I think we see a same, a similar phenomenon when people compare Bridgerton to Jane Austen. I'm sorry, that's like really rude to Jane Austen. She had like an important social message. Those weren't the books she was writing. She was writing critiques um, ostensibly of capitalism, of racism. She was writing like early commentary on white feminism. And all of that is kind of being stripped away. So the thing that, you know, usually in my scholarship, I would say these are structural issues. Um, you know, capitalism affects all of our cultural work in this way. So I guess the, the, the way in which this brings out my inner petty is that sometimes I just want to be like, like you, you are the reason that the planet is going down in flames because you won't even <laughs> let us have like our nice, important cultural commentary. Like there's all this talk about how like the the right is being batshit and trying to keep books out of libraries and censor us. But meanwhile, people people on quote our side refuse to take Jane Austen's critique seriously. So I just kind of want to sometimes jump on people's Instagram and be like, no, this post is proof that you are part of the problem. <laughs> uh, well, I am crossing you off my list of invitees to my Grapes of Wrath party. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just basically uh, don't take a shower for a few days and come to California. Um, that's that's the Grapes of Wrath party. Um, Jill, what are you feeling? Are you feeling petty or do you want to do a sanity corner? Yeah, I'm feeling petty. I'm usually feeling petty. Um, I... I want to zoom in on the word scene uh, 
on Instagram. And I want to zoom out more broadly on responding to people on multiple platforms. But the thing that I really want to focus on is I think that the scene feature in Instagram DMs is so cruel and has made me look like an asshole so many times because I like am like dumb and mindless and will like open a message. And then it's something that I don't want what a person that I never talked to or like something that I am not emotionally prepared to like sit down and have a meaningful response. And I I'm so tired of it. And I know that you can like delete an Instagram message so that you can avoid that. But I'm saying like with my stupid, dumb, like animal brain, like I'm just going to open the message and then great. Now everyone knows that I saw the message. So that's like my focus. I, I hate it so much and I want to stop being beholden to it. But to again, to zoom out, I don't want to be beholden to multiple platforms of like feeling like just because somebody has my phone number or one of my social media accounts or whatever, that you can just message me. And that means like I have to respond or I'm an asshole. And it's like, I don't know, it sucks. And part of me really wants to, I feel like John and I are both zooming out really large right now, but I'm very like, it makes me want to live in the woods and like, I like be a boomer (laughs) who like hates technology and like, like, I don't want any part of this. I want, if you need to reach me, like you need my like house phone number and I will like (laughs) have a phone with a cord attached to a wall. And that's like the only way we can communicate or write me a letter. Like, I just don't like this way of life. That's what I'm feeling. <laughs> I about. mean, do you remember when Instagram used to, you could go to your feed? Like there were two columns. You could see um, people who had liked and interacted with your posts. And then you could click over to the other tab and you could see what the people you were following were doing. Yeah. It was such a cop. Like yeah. Instagram is such a, <laughs> such, it was such a snitchy feature because like sometimes you would just see somebody, I think a lot of guys didn't realize this, that you could see yeah. like them li- liking like 10 pictures of butts in a row and like, it oh was just Oh my God, like, I had no idea. Oh yeah. They, they got rid of that feature and, uh, it was, it was great if you were sort of like, like me and kind of a creep and just like, who, what are these, pe- what are these people up to? Um, but it's, uh, it's probably best for everybody that it's not there. Cause it was very drama causing. Like there were a lot of Reddit posts that were like, <laughs> my boyfriend keeps liking pictures of models on Instagram. It's like, well, the solution is don't look at that tab. I guess, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, Instagram is got some copy features for sure. Evil, e- totally. Um, Alyssa, are you uh, feeling petty, or do you have a sanity corner this week? I have a sanity corner this week. Ooh, good note to end on. Because yes, I don't feel like I've had much of a summer. I mean, I don't mean to complain, but it's been kind of a wash. And so I'm like, what am I going to do to make myself feel good? And so I've had some shows that I've like some TV shows that I really enjoyed. But last weekend I had gone, I had, I love Broadway. I love Broadway. But the last couple of shows I saw were like, okay, you know, they were fine. And then me and my ma went to go see Six on Broadway. And it was, it's about the six wives of Henry VIII where they reclaim their story where they have all to this point in life just been known as his wives. And this is about them reclaiming their story. And you guys, the audience was on its feet clapping. I had like Glenn Close Sunset Boulevard goosebumps on my arms. And it was like, I cried. I was like, this is fucking amazing. And so, and it's all women. The band is women. I mean, everyone who plays the ex-wives are women. It's like an incredibly cast show. And I think it's going on tour. 
So in show notes, we'll link, I found their Tony performance, which I watched before I got on here and I was singing. I was like, and now we're six. Um, so anyway, <laughs> it was fantastic and it was so feel good and so fun. And so if it comes to a theater near you, you should definitely see it. Or if you're in New York, you should go see it because it's, it's a fucking great time. Also, it's 80 minutes with no intermissions. My kind of show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I had I d- my brain just like came up with a dad joke as you were describing it, and I am so angry at myself that I feel like I need to exercise it from my brain. What? So what was it? Now you got to say it. It's Mamilton. Like <laughs> it is. <laughs> it oh. there are some likenesses, but I found it highly original. Okay, good, good. Um, that sounds awesome. I can't wait till it comes out to the West Coast or I go out to the East Coast because I've wanted to see that since I heard it was a thing. Um, that's all the time we have, folks. This was a really, really fun show. So Jill fun. and Shonda, uh, thank you so much for joining. This was a great conversation. You both need to come back ASAP tomorrow. ASAP. Next <laughs> week, you. whatever. Uh, Alyssa, thank you as always for being my ride or die. Wait, Erin, before we end, can what? I say one quick thing? Of course. To everybody listening, please don't feel a need to tweet or DM any of us and tell us that we're smarter than reality shows. None of us want to hear it. We're not. That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) We're not. Yeah, you know, you're right. We're not. We're absolutely, nobody is. I don't want to hear that you expect more from us. Don't. Yeah. Don't expect (laughs) more from us. I, no, please, please expect less from me. Yeah. I do Um, plenty. I do. I do enough. I'm good. Me too. This is our thing. (laughs) Um, Thank you for sticking around all this summer. Listeners, we've got a uh, midterm election coming up this fall. So, you know, do your midterm stretches. We'll be back with another Hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast. A village in India where everyone's name is a song. A boiling river in the Amazon. A spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode.